that is huge, I think, when as a student, you have someone that you could lean on and talk to about your career path and the person has the resource to be able to reach out to potential uh, opportunities that exist across industries. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of The Cusp Show, the Columbia University Sports Podcast, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Tom Richardson, joined with, with my longtime colleague, co-host, not longtime, since the beginning, since day one, since podcast one, five and a half years ago, Joe Favorito. Joe. Hello, Tom. Here we are, back in school. Back in school and back to football season, which is good for me as a fan. I know you're a fan. And um, the sound we've been hearing over the last couple of weeks is the inevitable shift of attention over to the National Football League as we get into September. It's kind of amazing how dominant the sport is. And we're recording the show the night after the opening kickoff game, Dallas against Tampa Bay, which ended up being one of the best games, sporting events of in my opinion, of 2021 so far. What a great way for a league to start a season. So that's awesome. Um, did you get a chance to watch, Joe? Uh, I watched in and out between, for some reason, I watched the, the Mets lose again for a little while. Okay. We don't have to yeah. go there. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. And I think it's, um, you know, not that the NFL, <laughs> you know, struggles to, to get attention, but um, I think, you know, the, the, collective hug that everyone is giving everybody either real or in per, uh, in person or virtually sadly still virtually for some people um we'll continue on through this weekend uh, a beautiful weekend with obviously september 11th in the middle of it and uh, right, right. uh we'll really get us off hopefully to yet another positive progression down the road in, in the business that we're in and the lives we live yeah and it's also a reminder of um kind of the the seasonal, the seasonal variations in how we all think of our culture, at least here in the U.S., with the with the changing focus of sports. Um, you know, having the U.S. Open gone, which so far has, by the way, mm -hmm. been absolutely terrific. I wish I could have gone this year in person, but I did not. But the TV tennis, particularly if you're a fan of underdogs, has been amazing. And then we've got NBA and hockey training camps opening and soon, and and uh, college football. Uh, baseball is getting really exciting. Maybe not for New York fans, but it's still <laughs> exciting. Um, I, I just read about that announcement of the rebranding of the Women's Hockey League. Did you see that, Joe? Yeah, I saw that. Um, good for them. And, you know, and then, of course, you've got all of European soccer starting and MLS continuing on as well. Absolutely. So. Uh, by the way, did you happen to catch the name of the new Women's Hockey League? I, I, I thought it was interesting what they chose to do. Kind yeah, of it has nothing to Nothing to do with hockey, as a matter of fact. Well, no, no. It, the, the word hockey is in it, but what's missing in the new title is the word women. Or women, yep, yep. Uh, It's the Premier Hockey Association. Yeah. I, I thought that was a good move. and, and someone, Very smart. Someone uh, pointed out on Twitter it's, or, or somewhere that I was reading that it's the first time a, quote, women's league did not have the word women or women in it, which is interesting. So good for them. I hope they yep. succeed with it. Uh, anyway, we've got a great guest today. He's a colleague of ours at Columbia, teaching a business intelligence class, uh, and he's been doing that for a while. He's got some, some good experience in academia, and he's got a very impressive professional resume in the world of data strategy and analytics, longtime executive at Major League Soccer, and most recently, 
he became the VP of data strategy and analytics for the Indianapolis Colts. Very exciting. So a new NFL guy in the midst. And we're talking about Charlie Shin. Many of you listening may maybe know him from Columbia or MLS or now the Colts. Uh, but Charlie is well-traveled, has had a really interesting experience in this business, and we're really pleased to welcome to the show, I believe for the first time, correct, Joe? Yep, yeah. yep, correct. Charlie, welcome. Thank you, Tom and Joe. I've been counting the days since I joined the <laughs> Columbia community to be invited to this uh, amazing podcast, so I am thrilled and excited, so thank All right. you for well, having that, me. The, the feeling's mutual. We've been really anxious to have you. We're, we're trying to do more podcasts with our faculty because we have so many amazing people, including a bunch of new ones that uh, Joe and I are hoping to get on in the next few weeks, actually, but we've been wanting to talk to you for a while, um, not just because you work in the NFL right now, but because you are at the center of probably one of the most interesting parts of the business right now in sports, um, a phrase that many people wouldn't have even uttered 10 years ago, certainly not in Joe and Maya's experience back in the 90s when we got into the sports business, data strategy. We would have been saying, you know, what, what are they talking about, data strategy? But data strategy has become such an important thing in all of business, but it's particularly interesting in sports because so much data is produced both on the field, on the court, on the pitches, et cetera, but also uh, through the business channels because of the diversification, diversification of media, fan engagement, things like that. So there's a lot to unpack with a title like VP of data strategy and analytics, but why don't we, for the edification of the audience, start with your story. Perhaps you can take us through the progression briefly. And I know at one point you got involved with teaching at NYU and you are a grad of a sports management program that I used to teach in, NYU. So, so tell the, the Charlie story to start and, and we'll get going from there. Absolutely. It's been a, quite the journey um, to get to where I am today from where I kind of started because I had no backgrounds or even have even thought about sports as a business uh, career uh, when I first started my uh, job back in South Korea working for LG. So that was back in 1998 when I graduated, um, started to figure out about my future. And, you know, um, back then, especially living in South Korea, the biggest thing was getting into those uh, big corporate conglomerates companies like Samsung, LGs, and Hyundai. So, you know, that's, that was what I've done. Um, but, you know, having kind of started that path, um, there were two opportunities that really came across that opened my eyes. And one was the 2002 World Cup. Uh, it was hosted in South Korea with Japan, and it was the uh, biggest and the most impactful sporting events, even to date, that I've attended. Um, the, you know, the, the hosting country made it to the quarterfinal, and that just even made it better. And I just saw that, that how much of an impact a sports could have on a single country, as well as the community and, and the business space. And that really opened my eyes into um, the world of sports. Uh, and then I was working as a consultant. And one of the projects that I was involved in was um, video games. And, and back then, it was really a lot of the mobile games that were getting introduced. And you know, as part of that project, I had to assess the industries and, and the companies. And what I realized was um, the, the impact a 
intangible value that could have on, on, a, on a business. So, you know, I've done a lot of projects where it was very infrastructure driven uh, uh, companies like Samsung and others where, you know, you're, you have this massive production line that creates TVs or uh, consumer products and try to make a margin out of you know, five to uh, three to five percent in the retail. But there's trillions of dollars that goes into just setting up that infrastructure versus I go into a, a video gaming space where you got three guys sitting in a room in a computer coming up with this code. And then suddenly you have multi-million dollar product that really didn't require a whole lot of investment that went in, except for the ideas and concepts that came with it. So that opened up my eyes go, you know what, that's got to be the future, the, the future where it's about the value that consumer views, not the actual you know, a product or the, uh, the material that went into creating that product. So, you know, I started thinking about what is that future and entertainment was kind of on my mind. And then sports uh, ultimately became a destination that I really wanted to uh, evaluate. And that's when I decided to come back to the States. So I came back and decided to uh, um, get my master's in sports and uh, started to attend NYU. It really um, gave me that opportunity to get a better understanding of what sports industry was. And you know, I would have loved to join the Columbia back then, but unfortunately you guys didn't have any programs back then. So uh, NYU was a, a great choice for me. It's a great school in a great city and really gave me that access to all of the professional leagues as well as the clubs. Um, during the time, um, you know, my focus was really on understanding the industry and developing that network. And that really helped me um, find opportunities, uh, whether it was an internship. I worked at the NJSEA back then when we actually had the con uh, Continental Arena where the Nets and the Devils played. So I worked wow. there. For, yeah, it was, it was way back. <laughs> And then um, that led to an opportunity with MLS uh, toward the end of my school year and, um, you know, worked as an intern. Um, and they didn't even have a marketing department back then. So I've worked at their business development team. Uh, it was interesting because that was 2006. Uh, and I was working on a, a, a World Cup project because back then, um, believe it or not, no, of the, no other uh, networks had rights to the World Cup because no one wanted to take that risk. And it was uh, the subsidiary of Major League Soccer, the Soccer United Marketing, who had the uh, broadcasting rights for the US. And we were actually selling all the commercials uh, for all of those games. And I was part of that process wow. of managing the okay. inventories and ratings analysis and all of that. Um, so it was a full circle where, you know, 2002 World Cup kind of got me interested in the, the space. And then I was actually working on that 2006 World Cup um, as part of my internship. And then as I was working there, one of the things that I've recognized, again, having been a consultant for many years, when you see a problem, you kind of tend to come up with, all right, here's a, a recommendation or solution or proposal that you kind of want to put in front. So that's what I did. Uh, having done a lot of the CRM related uh, strategy works while I was working as a consultant, I decided to put together a, a master plan, a proposal for how Major League Soccer could do a better job in um, using data to service customers and build uh, and grow their uh, revenues and uh, making sure they have the right infrastructure to support that. Um, so I put that 
presentation in front, uh, Mark Abbott, who's now the deputy commissioner, um, really liked it. So, you know, at the end of the, uh, um, that year, he gave me a full-time opportunity within the marketing uh, department. Um, and that's how I got started really as a full-time staff in major league soccer. Great story, Charlie, let me just ask you quickly, do you think you would have gotten that job if you hadn't taken that initiative to do the, to, to do that plan? I think so. I, I don't think I have I had a chance. It would be been, you know, thank you for the great work. And then really that was it because again, they didn't even have the marketing department. So right. it was really the initiative um, that I was able to take. And then certainly I had all the support from uh, the people that I've worked with in the business development to kind of show for the, the work that I've done as an intern and kind of showing the dedication and the quality of work that I've done, but also being able to provide that um, proposal of an opportunity that the MLS could take on, I think was really the uh, turning selling points in getting that final um, um, offer. Nice, good for you for doing that. Yeah, and, and that really uh, got me started. And then, you know, from there on, I've taken on different roles and responsibility throughout the years in Major League Soccer for 15 season. Uh, it was, the best uh, experience I've, I've can say I've had just because of the nature that it was a young league um, and you weren't, you didn't have any kind of fixed kind of boundaries, right? Because it was so much opportunities that needed to be done. And there's so many things that could be done. It was really uh, up to you to come up with different ideas and different ways to help grow the league. And that's, what I'd done. I was involved with different youth uh, initiatives, grassroots partnership with soccer organizations. I built out the whole research kind of infrastructure at the start and determining what are some of the research capabilities that we need to build out. Built out the whole technology infrastructure for the CRM with the centralized data warehouse uh, and extending that into owning the email communication because back then we actually worked with the company called BAM, which has now been sold, but you know, mm -hmm. there's a um, subsidiary company called Soccer um, on Earth. Um, I think that was the name. Sports, that sport, it was called Sports on Earth. I remember that. Sports on Earth, that's it. Yeah. Uh, Phil, that was it. Uh, yes. Phil Green, Joe. Phil Green was, yeah. yes, yeah. he was the GM there. And you know, they managed all of our digital infrastructure, uh, including the email communications. So kind of bring that back into the in-house and, and building that out was part of the uh, responsibilities. And then being involved with uh, you know, five-year plannings, and um, there were so many areas that I probably wouldn't have gotten involved or had the opportunity to work on if I was with any other leagues uh, back then. So yeah. that really helped out. And then this new opportunity came with the with the Colts, where you know being with the league for 15 season um, and working with a lot of the individual clubs. Uh, now I think we're up to 30 clubs uh, at MLS, but, you know, having worked with a lot of them, I always felt like I was a little bit distant with the actual fans and the markets because, you know, you work at the league, there's not a whole lot of um, um, connection there. And that's where I felt like, okay, that needs to be my next step. How do I get closer to uh, uh, fans that I could call my fans and my markets and really work towards building that relationship and committing to that uh, with, with the passion. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what this uh, Indianapolis Colts um, was about. And 
uh, it's such a great ownership um, and I'm excited to be part of it. They're um, committed to turning this organization into being more um, fan-centric as well as data-centric. So um, there's a lot of, lot of work that needs to be done, but at the same time, it's a, it's a great challenge. And um, again, never thought of, you know, 17 years ago when I first kind of took this journey that I would be working at NFL uh, for a guy who started working in South Korea and then thought about sports way into my career in, you know, seven, eight, eight years into my career. So I'm just uh, fortunate and blessed to, you know, be part of this community. So, so Charlie, a couple questions. Um, is this a new venture that, that we've seen other teams, we've seen Monumental do a lot of stuff in this space. The Jets have done stuff in this space. Obviously, our colleague Russ, Russ Scabetti touches on this space in his role with the Giants. So it's great that we have somebody in the AFC and the NFC, by the way. Um, um, is, it, uh, is it new? And then regardless of whether it was new or not, what were some of the basic or even some of the more advanced practices that you learned at MLS that you brought now to this job with the team uh, at the, with the Colts in Indianapolis? Absolutely. Uh, it, it is certainly new, not completely new. I think um, the, the Indianapolis Colts recognized that this is an area that they needed to invest in probably about two to three years ago. So they started to make those investments. And this mm -hmm. is just a progression of the work that they've started. Um, and looking at as a totality in industry, um, I think it's part of the evolution that they recognize that they, in order for the business to survive, um, this is the trend and this is the, the change that needs to be made. Um, so I think they're just part of that uh, a process as an overall business, you know, outside of sports too, when you look at it. I, I think uh, there was an interesting article a couple of years ago, an economist that mentioned that the, the world's most valuable resource is now data. Yep. Uh, and not oil. Right? It just speaks mm -hmm. to the role that data plays in, in uh, everything that we do in this business space. So I think that's uh, the progression that the Colts are, are part of. Um, although I would say that they're, they're you know, a little bit behind in terms of some of their peers and other organizations have done over the years. So it's good that they're now taking that step towards the uh, uh, and making this investment and commitments. Uh, in terms of the learnings that I could bring from, uh, from the Major League Soccer is that, uh, look, Major League Soccer um, is a very uh, innovative and nimble um, and uh, creative organization that had to be different in order to survive um, because of being a new league, um, but also that came with an opportunity to do things differently. And, and that's where I was able to kind of learn um, a lot of that different thinking process in terms of how we view the markets or how we approach problems versus um, I, what I see across many other leagues and clubs is you still have that traditional approach or traditional thoughts mm -hmm. that look, competition is going to be driving the, the demand or, or the motivations behind it. But what we're seeing uh, is that not only the competition on, on field, but this is a very competitive market when you consider the entertainment. And uh, when you look at the evolution of how people are making their decisions and selecting their uh, options to spend their leisure time, it is very competitive market out there. Because when we think about 
our time. We only have 24 hours a day. And we take out six, seven hours of sleeping. You take out a couple of hours uh, working, eating. Then you're really left with, you know, two to three hours of leisure time that you're going to have to decide what you do with it. So, and you're not like dividing, okay, I'm going to set aside four hours for my sports or four hours, like, it's going to be decided on what you want and what you're looking for. And the option could be in terms of how that's delivered, could be a sports or it could be a video game. It could be, you know, outing or a trip or, you know, there's so many other options out there. How do we compete against that? So when you still uh, start thinking in that perspective, it comes down to better understanding your customers, right? Understanding their, the motivations behind it, and then making sure that, we're able to deliver that in a way beyond just having a best uh, uh, playing team on field. So I think that's where uh, we need to start thinking about. Mm-hmm. Charlie, you talked about data being the most valuable asset or commodity in, in all of business. We, we understand that. We've seen companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, in certain cases become trillion dollar or $2 trillion companies, primarily based on the fact that they've collected and harvest and capitalize on data than any companies in the history of the world. And it continues to grow. What's interesting for uh, the sports business is that when you think of the business side, so, so to be clear to everybody listening, we're talking about business intelligence, like the business side of data and data analytics and things like that, not on field, on pitch, on court which is a whole nother area of, uh, of data analytics to, uh, to discuss at another time. Business intelligence stuff is really interesting because historically in the sports business, there hasn't been much data collection because there really weren't those opportunities. When Joe and I were in respect, a lot of let's say, the survey. NBA and the NFL survey. in the 90s, you know, yeah. you had season ticket holders, but as you said, the leagues, like we were, I was in a league, Joe was in a team. We didn't have access to any of that data about these fans or what they were doing or thinking or whatever. We'd, we'd have to do uh, focus groups or uh, surveys or something like that to have a sense, but there was no hard data. So what's happened as, and, and this is where it's so interesting in our program, these topics overlap. Like this, what we're talking about overlaps with my class on digital media. So with the advent and growth of digital, all the, these, this ability to collect more data became, um, it, it grew beyond anyone's wildest imagination 20, 25 years ago. But the big thing is, and this is the, I'll get to my question now. The interesting thing right now in the sports business is that most of that, maybe not most, but a really significant portion of the data being generated, which is allows you to do analytics and strategy is coming from third parties. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not first party data, obviously. So when you, just to take one piece of it, your media business, and let's talk about the Colts as a use case, and it could be any team or any league right now. So much is happening on the third-party platforms ranging from, and we could have a very long list if I continued, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, Discord, Twitch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that you are dealing with as as the guy that runs this, all this different third-party not necessarily normalized, consistent data, but you got to figure that out. And I'm, I'm sure this isn't the first time you've been thinking about this issue. You've probably been dealing with this for 15 years, but can you, can you speak to that? Because that seems to me to be an enormous challenge 
that is kind of unique to the sports business. Uh, absolutely. I, you know, matter of fact, we, we still have challenges with the first party data as well. Right, right. not to mention the challenges with first party. Because right. that's the, uh, the low hanging fruit in terms of leveraging some of the data that you already have access to. And, and a lot of times, this is an area a lot of uh, the clubs as well as the league still have challenges of putting all that together to, to better understand. So uh, we could certainly work with the first party data to understand you know, what's happening with our current customers. Um, in terms of third party, I think there's still a lot of things that we could gain from uh, accessing and analyzing third party. Um, you know, a lot of the challenge with the third party is that you're not able to get down to the granular level of, of understanding who that person is. Um, but from a, uh, but that's going to be a similar case for any other industries out there, right? It's not like suddenly other industries will have better access to the uh, third party data in terms of understanding who those people are. But uh, it, you know, for, for, for the data analysis, it really comes back to what is it that you're trying to understand? Because unless you have a clear objective in trying to figure out what problem or a question that you're trying to address, you're going to have a hard time determining how you go about analyzing the data and, and specifically around the third party data. Uh, a lot of people focus on just collecting for the sake of having the data in place. Um, but for me, it's, it's not so much about the quantity, but it's about the quality. And that quality will determine on the objective what I'm trying to answer. So if I want to understand and uh, 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 address a, a problem of, you know, why is my you know, new fans that are coming to our digital ecosystem, um, are they coming back or are they the same people that are coming back? Or is it just the same people coming over and over and we're just maintaining that consumption uh, in terms of the views or engagement, right? If you have that clear understanding, then, then you know what you need to do in terms of the types of information that you need to go and acquire or uh, the, the ways that you could figure out and uh, in, in taking some of the digital third-party data and then trying to analyze how you go about addressing that. Uh, because there's so much data, um, I think the first thing that we tend to miss out on is like, what, what's the goal? What is the objective? What is the question that we're trying to address? And that will help at least get rid of all the different clutters of data that might not be relevant to you. And then you'll have a better understanding of kind of figuring out what can be done. Um, so I think that would be the first step. And then there's now, there's a lot of data that are coming out that sometimes help us uh, do some fudgy matching of the third party of the big data to your potential customers by looking at uh, probabilistic kind of matching and figuring out, hey, you know, this uh, group of people uh, look very likely that they're the actual season ticket holders or uh, looking at these types of information that we know, uh, we could probably say they are your season ticket holders or your single ticket buyers or people that have not purchased tickets, whatever the uh, the group of people that you're looking to analyze. So uh, there's that approach that you could take to kind of uh, uh, do the analysis because at the end of the day, in the, in the world of marketing for the data analytic, at least my thought is that you don't have to be accurate like you do from a finance standpoint or from your, um, your uh, uh, financial report standpoint where you, know, you want that uh, all the way down to the sense uh, to match uh, your numbers that you have on your ledgers, 
this is marketing. If you could get 60% accuracy on, on the group that you're trying to go and have an understanding, hey, that's better than zero, right? So, and wow. then you constantly go improve it. So mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of the, uh, the approach that I, I, I try to take. So, so Charlie, you come from a league to a team, um, although a league that was probably a little bit more disruptive and nimble to now a team in a league, which is very sometimes, shall we say, restrictive on what they would like to share with people. Um, but when you look at your job now, and, and I bring this up because this week Sportico broke the story that the NFL is now going to allow teams to go and target mar- markets to sell to outside, really around the world. So, you know, there's going to be kind of, a, I guess, a bidding system for who gets London, who gets Germany, however that is. Um, right now, from a team perspective, is the data that you get from the NFL and the data that you collect specific to your geographic area or do you know and are you able to track you know avid cold fans on your own who happen to live in baltimore or northern california how how does that play out as you kind of take all the data that comes in we we do uh it it really comes back to the source of of the data right if someone buys our tickets from outside of states we're definitely going to have that information because they purchase product with us same thing on merchandising and all the other uh, areas of, of the business. Um, so we do have a lot of information that is outside of our, our market that we, we, we have. And that comes back to then in terms of how you utilize those data, it comes back to our business objectives. Like, you know, where are we gonna put our uh, focus and resource to drive our, our goal, uh, whether that's revenue or whether that's delivering certain uh, engagements or market shares. Um, so it, that's more of a strategic uh, uh, approach and decision that needs to be made and then everything else follows in terms of the execution and operation standpoint. So if we, for some reason, decide that, hey, you know, we, we need to grow uh, international markets and that will become our uh, uh, one of the uh, primary goals, then that will dictate what we need to do in, in terms of our programming, our ticket packaging and all of that. Uh, but, you know, just this is an area that we haven't started, you know, started talking or discussing yet. But um, I, I would think that the, the prim- primary focus would be still within our market um, because that's where the, the biggest opportunity rise uh, exists. Is. Um, because when you look at the business as a whole, and you got your ticketing business, you have your sponsorship business, right? Then you have all the other ancillary business, especially just pertaining to the revenue side of it. Um, the biggest opportunity that at least I see it is on the commercial side, right? You, you, mm-hmm. There's a limitations on ticketing. You have your full capacity. There's a limit on in terms of how much you could raise that price. So there's always going to be that limitations on how you could grow. Um, but on the commercial side, even though you're restricted within your market, there's so many categories of uh, uh, companies out there. And then you got your non-exclusive categories and you know other uh, opportunities. And, and how do you grow that? And that's going to be really dictated on what is the value that you're going to be able to deliver. And I believe data will play, and, and digital as a whole, will play more and more important role uh, as, as companies look towards this area, uh, because that's exactly the same area that they're looking at in terms of driving their business. So what is that synergy that can exist uh, between the digital va- uh, assets and values that we could bring to uh, their uh, business approach? So um, it's Friday. Um 
I almost said November, but September 10th. Interesting article, Tom or Charlie, I don't know if you saw it in the New York Times today in the business section about the rise of Facebook glasses and their yes, partnership. I, just, I literally was de yeah. dealing with this topic right before this podcast the, with my job. Yeah. And I had never really grasped it, but the, the topic, the, the term glass holes came yes. up as- Oh, my, as one well. of my favorite uh, references right. to old digital. Um, yeah. So my, my question would be, as you get all this data, Charlie, um, how do you create and enhance a user experience, deliver stuff to fans without being kind of the big brother where, you know, there are beacons in the stadium and you know, I just bought a hot dog and 30 seconds later, I get an email from someone saying, hey, you who just bought the hot dog, go put extra mustard on it. You know, yeah. how, do, how do you balance that? And did you learn anything from MLS and, and, and worry about too much access? I, I think it's, um, it's all about um, delivering the value that the consumers or the fans are looking for. So, you know, even just take it in your own experience of how you share data and how you experience some of the communications that you're receiving. You know, you, you, get, uh, you get pissed off when you get something that you're not really looking for, you've never signed up or something, or you're, you're getting you know, offers that has nothing to do with you, then it's like, what is this? Versus let's say you're you know, about to walk into uh, a place and you have certain uh, uh, product in mind that you're looking for, and then suddenly, you get something that's going to help you drive and further kind of confirm that, hey, you know what, I'm going to go and get this now. Um, then you don't see, see that as being intrusive or uh, being you know, rude or, or get pissed about it. Um, so it really comes down to uh, providing the, the right message and right offer at the right time. As easy as it sounds, <laughs> it's not that easy when you're trying to execute that. And I think that's where uh, the work really needs to be done in understanding about your consumers and also understanding how they want to be communicated. And then also looking at some of the things that you've done in the past to see, hey, did it work? Did people appreciate this or not? And then continue to build off of that. Um, you know, a lot of people have concerns about the um, GDPRs, the CCPAs and all these new regulations coming down. And they're like, oh, what do we do? You know, now we're not going to be able to really maximize the data that we have because of, of the restrictions and, and so on. Um, I, I usually say this is a good thing because um, as a marketer, these type of policies will only strengthen the ones that do it the right way. And right? so the, the companies that aren't doing the right way will get impacted. Mm -hmm. Those people who tend to blast, who's not taking care of their customer information and then um, these policies come in and they're like, no, this is really going to hinder our uh, way that we do our business because they weren't doing it the right way. But if you're really doing it the right way and you're uh, taking the right precautions, then these aren't anything new, right? There isn't anything that's out there that's completely out, out of the norm or that, you know, as a consumer's perspective, is we sit on the both sides. I'm on the business side of, of doing this business, but I'm also a consumer for many of the companies. And I don't want those companies to be misusing my data as well. So um, these policies will help and really strengthen the, the companies that do it the right way. Um, but it will only uh, uh, protect us from those companies that aren't really leveraging it the, the correctly. Cool. Charlie, when you guys are doing deals let's say uh, sponsorship deals or even uh, league-wide deals like Verizon renewal, which sounds massive, by the way. That's a lip-breaking story from this week, I guess. 5G. Um, 
when it involves business enterprises that produce data that ultimately could be valuable beyond the league, but to the, the teams individually, especially in the world of cell phones, where there's just, an, as you know, an enormous amount of data, uh, <laughs> perhaps the Absolutely. most driven by cell phones and mobile apps and things like that. Um, are you now in your both team sponsorships and in your potential involvement in at least advising the league on team perspectives on data collection? Do you have a seat, uh, at, that do you have a seat at that table to make sure you ultimately are going to get access to what you want to get access to? Absolutely. Uh, you know, NFL has really good um, collaboration uh, in this space. Uh, we actually have a committee, uh, which I'm part of, um, that discusses uh, all topics related to data. You know, what can we do better? How can we leverage and sharing best practices, uh, providing suggestions to the league? Um, so there's a strong collaboration on, you know, how do we um, improve in terms of what we do in this space and support each other um, so that we could do better. Um, so that's certainly, there is a, a avenue for that. Um, in terms of, you know, so that exists between the club and the league, but also within the club, we have a very strong collaboration between the departments. So for sponsorships team to go out and, and pitch or, um, coming up with ideas, they don't just do it on the vacuum, you know, they're, they're going to consult with us and trying to figure out what is uh, the things that we could offer as well as what are some of the values that we could potentially get in working with different types of sponsors that could help us access to some of these uh, customer data. So there's definitely that collaboration taking place as well. So, um, you know, this is space, everyone recognizes that there is some type of role that each of us play. Uh, and not just a data department or analytic department, but um, you know, data plays across all of the business. Yeah, quick follow-up on that. One more mm -hmm. specific example is Fanatics. You mentioned merchandising before. Yep. Fanatics, which is now, what, an $18 billion company, getting more powerful and bigger seemingly by the month at this point and diversifying. They're obviously a hugely important partner both to the league and because because you you have to you are, you have to abide by that relationship, correct? Your shop is Fanatics, I assume. Uh, you have the choice, but we do work with Fanatics for the yeah. I know many of the teams uh, right, online. Right. Yes. So so in that instance, where that the data associated with merchandise sales preferences recommendations etc. is so important, are you able to make sure you're getting what you need? And is I don't know if you can tell me this. Is Fanatics good about that? Like they're they're feeding this through, so everybody yeah. can essentially optimize against it. Absolutely, we get we get all the data in terms of the the sales and products, and down to the SKU level in terms of what what our customers have purchased. Um, what I would like to kind of look at in terms of the relationship between the two organizations is that they're good at selling products and merchandising, right? So they know what product sells best at what channels and someone who purchased certain products are likely to purchase other products. That's what they do. That's their uh, um, sweet spot. And, you know, they have ton of knowledge and um, data that they've analyzed that shows uh, how that works. So, you know, they're going to be really in charge of taking that initiative and, and uh, helping us sell more products. What we could do is taking those data of, of the product that they purchased and then analyzing it from our perspective on other areas of our business 
and see how the merchandising purchase impacts uh, um, some of the customers. So you, know, you could easily say if someone purchased a certain level of merchandising that they're committed and to our brands and our teams and you know, more likely that they'll have affinity towards purchasing tickets. And you, know, you could analyze all of that um, to, to better understand it. So there's that kind of you know, uh, uh, symbiotic relationship where you know, we heavily uh, trust and, and rely on their expertise and how the product needs to be sold and uh, the, 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 the categories of products that they develop and introduce. And then, you know, they rely on us making sure that we're going to build the fandoms and the fans that's going to create new demands for their products down the line. So it's got to be a strong partnership where, you know, we're helping them, they're helping us. And um, that's, that's where the partnership comes And Sharing that data becomes an important piece because that would only uh, support each other uh, on the long term. And that's what I try to emphasize, not only between the the, the team and the and the merchant the, the fanatics but any business that we do you know people tend to be shy about sharing information but it's because of the sharing information that's going to even uh, make the business stronger or bigger um, and that's where the true value comes out so um, you know when I mean by sharing it's not like I'm sharing you know giving away all these PI informations but in terms of sharing insights in terms of um, being able to understand the value that we could potentially bring to our partners and vice versa and working closely to, um, you know, make the pie bigger. And I think yeah. that's what needs to be done. Uh, and I think it's slowly people are recognizing that. And that's where we're seeing a lot of these investments into technologies, as well as the resource um, that a lot of uh, organizations are making in this space. Hey, Joe, can I do just a quick follow up before your question? I know you have one. Mm -hmm arguably, and maybe it's not even arguable in the NFL, the most important consumer touch point would be the television experience for most of us with the mm -hmm. NFL. Last night's an example. When you guys play, I don't know when you have your first primetime game, but when you have one, um, what are you getting, if anything? I've no, I, haven't, Joe, I haven't thought about this in a while. Like, what are you getting beyond Nielsen data which is kind of, in my opinion, BS, <laughs> uh, but that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah. Um, but are you getting stuff that can be truly helpful in the television area? This has got to be a big issue in the NFL, oh, every sport. Every your, sport. Number, your numbers are so big that if, if NBC, as the partner of the league, could tell you that we've, you know, on the 16 rating, that X percent is associated with, um, I don't know, uh, cult fandom, that could be sure. hugely valuable to you. But sure. I, I don't know if that kind of stuff is flowing down the pipeline. I, I think it's gotta be a combination of, of data points um, because you're right. Um, you know, there's a limitations of insights that you could gain from the TV ratings. And then, you know, nowadays with so much uh, uh, consumption taking place over the OTT and digital space mm -hmm. that limits some of that data even further um, because you don't get the full picture of everyone that's engaged in, in your, in your broadcast. Right. Um, so there's certainly a lot of work that needs to be done, but uh, at the same time, I think there are some um, informations that could help um, at least from a strategic standpoint and how you go about addressing your market, because you're right. I think TV rating is, is one of the most important uh, uh, indicator in understanding your kind of affinity in, in your market, especially 
uh, teams like us, we, by looking at the number of people that are watching on a regular basis in this market, gives you a little bit of, of understanding the, the potential size of fans that's, that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, with that said, I think there are some in-depth analysis that can be done through Nielsen. Um, again, setting aside their uh, the data qualities and all that aside, um, there are some analysis that can be done. And, and I think a lot of times, uh, especially at the club level, um, tend to um, not do it because one, they view that as more of a, from a commercial standpoint, right? They're viewing it as, hey, this is a league asset uh, that's being sold. So um, I don't really need to pay a, a whole lot of attention to it. But I'm, I, I always try to look at it from consumer standpoint. And that's one of the key touch points for our fans. So I want to understand who these people are that are watching the games, how they're behaving. So if we do a deep dive, you could get a really interesting insight because you know, when you look at TV ratings, TV rating is made up of people, uh, uh, it's duration and reach, right? So you get to understand how many people are watching and how long they're watching it. And combination of that makes up what the TV rating is. So when you think about it, you could have the same TV ratings uh, with the mix of people that are relatively smaller number of people watching it, but watching it longer versus you could have someone who's watching it longer, but on a shorter time. I I mean, sorry, a lot of people, but watching it much shorter time. Mm -hmm. That's a very different behaviors and very different approach in terms of how you want to strategically approach your marketing, because, you know, one's having a very core audience who's dedicated to you just means that's more avids versus people who's uh, watching it. A lot of people, but in a short time, that means you have a lot of casual people who are just coming across the channel and leaving. So um, there's a different approach. Getting to that level and then looking at some of the demographics, uh, looking at some of their other ancillary data points that exist in um, TVs uh, from Nielsen, there's actually a lot of good uh, insights that you could gain that could be the foundation for uh, some of your kind of broader marketing approach or objectives that you could set for for the team. So, so my last question before we get to our last two, along those lines, um, you've seen some teams like the 49ers go out and build ancillary businesses off of data intelligence for their partners or for companies that aren't even part of their partnerships. Um, is that something as you look forward, not just from the cults, but in general, something that's a repeatable business or can that just be a couple of companies? And is it something now as you look to all the partners, the local partners, not the, non, the, the non-NFL partners, but the ones who activate in Indianapolis, is something that, that you will continue to offer more and more and how far down the road, because you're, you're really kind of a startup. You've only been there since January. Um, when you think that will happen? How does all that, the business of data intelligence as a sellable asset play out? I think the first and foremost is delivering that value to your current sponsor is where you're going to see the biggest opportunities. Right? Mm. Um, and if that works out well, then you could kind of think about extending it to maybe within the sports industry and then kind of on beyond. I mean, craft sports, Kager is a great example yeah. of what uh, Jessica has done and yeah, she started as an internal kind of uh, division, but now have grown it into uh, one of the big uh, uh, firm within the sports industry that really uh, provides a, a great value for many of the professional leagues and teams. Um, but I, I also think that it has to be a combination. The, the consulting model isn't, isn't scalable. So 
Um, and that's why the, the Kager is, is strong because it's not just a consulting, but they have an infrastructure that they yeah. could kind of go out and sell against. And that's where you're going to make a lot of monies. But if you're just doing a consulting service, it, you know how the consulting service works. It's just not scalable. It's hard to project uh, the, the business and revenues. And then you still have your consultants and re, uh, the overheads. It's, uh, uh, it's not easy maintaining that uh, business. So um, I think, you know, f- at least for us, that's not even on our roadmap right now. We're just focusing on how do we first improve our, our business and then how do we use that to potentially scale into our uh, partner's business um, not just from our perspective, but are there anything that we could learn from here that could actually help drive businesses for our partners uh, down the line so that that becomes a, a, an asset and a value to them? Um, and that's kind of the, the I guess, the, the, I don't want to say short term, but that's kind of the goal that I'm foreseeing in terms of how I want this uh, capability to build out within the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Joe, before, we ask, before I ask the wrap-up questions, our standard questions, which Charlie was fairly warned about, um, <laughs> and I know we're running out of time, so Charlie, just give us a minute. Uh, we, we have had a chance to talk about your academic, your teaching experience. Just give us a minute on some thoughts, observations, takeaways about your time teaching and that, that continues at Columbia now, which is great. Um, what, what do you, tell, us, tell everybody what you think about it. Um, well, in terms of just getting involved with the academic side of it has been a, a great addition to, to my journey. Um, I love it because I kind of put myself uh, back when I was in school. The biggest value that I got was from all of the adjuncts that were in the industries uh, in terms of how they brought the real life experience into the classroom. And that really resonated with me. And then even further to that, they went even above and beyond to help out with the students to help them with their careers, uh, which is the case. Um, so for example, the head of the commercial business for the US soccer, Dave Wright, used to be uh, one of the adjuncts at NYU when I was there. And he was a huge uh, advocate uh, and supporter for me when I was uh, trying to get a full-time job at the Major League Soccer. So um, that's a, you know s- example of how uh, the faculties kind of play a role in supporting our students. and. That's what I see within this program. I see uh, a tremendous uh, um, expertise across all of the faculties. Um, One thing that I also enjoy is there's uh, a great number of full-time faculties in addition to the adjunct, which is not uh, something that I saw at the NYU. Mm. So that's really great, right? Um, And then um, just a supporting uh, resource. Um, You know, Beth has been great in terms of in helping students with the placement. Mm-hmm. And that is huge, I think, when as a student, you have someone that you could lean on and talk to about your career path and the person has the resource to be able to reach out to potential uh, opportunities that exist across industry. So all in all, I think that's been um, impressive in terms of all the things that I've seen uh, with Columbia and, and, and and the, uh, the program that, uh, uh, that, you know, Scott, I think has been a, done a great job. Absolutely, yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so you, know, you, you knew that these two questions were coming. First, how do you stay smart? Second, please share some career advice, especially for the younger people listening. Absolutely, staying smart, it's, it's all about information, right? How do you go and, and get uh, information in the areas that you're interested in? And I think, you know, all the students that are currently enrolled in this, 
that that in itself is a huge step, right? Applying to school and trying to learn. Um, just as an example, you know, I got my master's back uh, 15 years ago. I just started my PhD program online uh, this January. And that's because not that I just want to have a degree, but I'm interested in learning more. And I feel like I want to uh, be able to do that. And, and you know, taking on the, uh, the course is another way of kind of getting into more deeper area because I'm interested in that research space and how do I tie the, uh, uh, the actual kind of the um, industry knowledge and then tie that into academia because that's one area that I've kind of felt as I read a ton of uh, research papers, the gap that exists in terms of the reality and the, the, the concept. Um, but I think there is an opportunity to bridge that gap. So, um, you know, going to school um, nowadays, there's so much podcast like the one yourself here um, that you could listen to. I mean, basically, they have podcasts for every topic. <laughs> every, right, that's true. Um, yeah. So you could find it and, and you'll be able to um, get that. Um, I've done a lot of reading. Um, so it, it really comes down to, I don't think the, the method is an issue. I think it really comes down to the will, whether or not do you have that will to, mm. to go and learn more? Because mm. I do believe everyone has opportunity to learn more uh, than what they currently know. Um, so that's it's a good of, way to say it. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about career advice? Career advice, um, meet others, uh, go out and network. Um, I'm sure they've heard this thousand times, but I'll say it again. Um, uh, the value of, of meeting people, uh, is hugely important, not because you're hoping to get something out of, of that person, but, um, just being able to understand in different views and perspective. And also if that person already works in industry, it's a good way to understand um, how they've got there and some of the lessons learned um, that you could potentially apply to your uh, uh, process. And then um, it's, a, it's a big industry, but very uh, <laughs> it's connected industry, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, works within so once you get in, it's hard to get in but once you get in it's like a big family everyone knows everyone <laughs> so um you know try to uh find the time to go and reach out i think as a student is the best time to reach out to people because you know if you're working in an organization and try to connect with someone there's always that question mark uh that people look at you with but uh if you're a student I mean, how easy is that? And just do informative interviews, meet with them and talk to them and share uh, uh, their views. On, and, you know, I, you'll get less no's from them than if you were to reach out to them as a uh, professional uh, yep. uh, person. So mm -hmm. nice. Cool. Joe, that was great. A great kickoff to the NFL season. As really, a great kickoff, even though we're talking about talking. Yeah. Um, so you know, on, on uh, a former soccer executive at MLS and now at the Indianapolis coach, Charlie Shin, thank you so much for joining us. We're really glad we had you. Um, really great to have you as a colleague. Uh, Want to wish you well with the job at the Colts, which is uh, new, relatively new. Good luck this season for your team. And I know you're not tracking on-field data 
uh, and analytics, but I'm, I'm sure that'll be on your mind these next uh, few, few weeks as the team gets gone because you can't help. Um, Joe, it's a pleasure. Thank you again. Uh, now I could go and say I was on the Cust uh, podcast. All right. You can put it on your resume now. See if yep. that does, does anything for you. Aim higher, Charlie. Get better data. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> yes. Uh, and if you get anything from the, uh, the pay TV industrial complex in terms of data collection, let me know because... The, the irony, Charlie, to end this conversation is that we're in an age of measurable media and the most inscrutable part of media is still traditional TV in terms of actual measurement, which, yeah. which really is the ultimate irony in this particular topic of mine. It is. And you, and you usually only find out about it when it's bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. or, you, or you just get everybody in a panic when they see a rating go down and everybody's freaking out like their, their world is ending. Oh, I know that feeling. <laughs> I know. Well, it happens seemingly every week for somebody. Yeah. Uh, but it is it is kind of silly because of the diversification of media and, and the way these touch points have expanded. So it is. anyway, Charlie Shin, thank you again. Thank you very much. Thanks to Taylor and Ben for producing. As always, really appreciate it, you guys. Joe, another great episode. Appreciate it. And, and a, great, uh, a great semester on tap, Tom. Here yeah, here's to, here's to a good fall for the Columbia program and all the other programs and all the other yep. universities. Uh, good luck to everybody. We'll see everybody next time on the Custer Show. Stay safe, guys. Bye. All right, thanks, Charlie.